Welcome to Beyond Research, a podcast brought to you by Research Nova Scotia. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jesse Lee McIsaac from Mount St. Vincent University. Dr. McIsaac leads the Early Childhood Collaborative Research Centre at the Mount and is a Tier 2 Canada Research Chair in Early Childhood Diversity and Transitions. Thank you for joining us today, Jesse Lee. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Early Childhood Collaborative Research Centre at the Mount? Sure. So the goal of our research at the Early Childhood Collaborative Research Center is to look at ways that we can enhance well-being during early childhood by ensuring that the environments uh, in which children uh, live, learn, and play are supportive to their well-being. So that means looking at the environments and ways that we can better uh, adjust um, the characteristics of the environment so that children have access to the things that they need to be well. It also means working uh, to better understand what families need uh, to support their young child as well. Uh, So the work that we do uh, really tries to understand what's already happening and uh, look at ways that we can adjust those environments uh, so that children and families can um, have access to the things that they need to develop in the best way that, that children can during that time. Great. And the center is relatively new. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be or how it came to be established at the Mount? Yeah, that's a great um, question. So there's really been increasing attention on early childhood uh, and related policies, uh, greater recognition really of the importance of the early years uh, as the foundation for lifelong uh, learning, health and well-being. And um, across the country, internationally, there's been this attention growing. And as a result, there's also been uh, different policies and programs that have been developed to uh, better support early childhood development and ensure that families have what they need. Uh, So the research chair uh, really came about uh, because of this um, increasing uh, attention. And uh, when I uh, started the position, I I knew what a a big focus of of my work would be was looking at these examples existing policies and programs and better understanding uh, whether or not these actions are helping families. And um, if they are, um, then that's great, but also really what's needed to adjust um, these uh, existing supports for families to ensure that they have what they need uh, for optimal environments for health uh, development and learning. That's great. And it's it's so evident how passionate you are about early childhood research. And I'm curious, what initially attracted you to this area of research? So my earlier graduate training had been focused on school environments, school-aged children and youth, and looking at uh, the environments that schools play and supporting a child's well-being. I think with um, the sort of change and and increasing focus on early childhood, um, I just became more and more interested in how we can really set the stage early in a child's life. There has been kind of a difference in how early childhood programs, uh, services, policies have also been uh, delivered across the country and particularly here in Nova Scotia, um, where early childhood um, services and supports programs has has come under um, our provincial uh, ministry of education. So now it's called the Department of Education and Early Childhood Development. Um, So as a result, um, there is sort of a, a... a broader attention to uh, the importance 
importance of uh, early childhood and that, how that supports the transition into school age, um, the school age experience of children. Um, so really from my prior experience in, in school age children and youth, it's sort of been a natural um, progression, I suppose, to better understand how those early years um, shape um, a child's uh, overall well-being and health. And you touched on it a little there, um, but you did see that opportunity with the government to restructure things so that your team could have that direct impact on Nova Scotians and their families. Can you tell us just a little bit more about how that came to be and and why it's so critical? Yeah, so I had the opportunity during my postdoctoral fellowship at Dalhousie, um, which was really focused on knowledge mobilization and particularly uh, ways that we can better partner um, as academics with government uh, using an engaged scholarship approach. So engaged scholarship looks at the ways that we can develop authentic partnerships to ensure that the research that we produce is not only building knowledge, but it's also supporting um, practice. It's actually having a, an impact on uh, on the world. So I actually had the opportunity to study um, what that looks like. So the actual practice of doing research um, through collaboration and found that um, some important um, tenets of how to do this are things like building relationships and trust. So ensuring that there's uh, the time spent uh, to develop relationships so that there's an understanding of the intention uh, of research and also uh, a trust that um, that the results will be used uh, in a formative way to help to support adjustments that uh, better meet the collective um, goals that we have around supporting childhood development and, and learning and well-being. Oftentimes, research is sort of uh, developed by the researcher. The research ideas comes from the researcher. Um, so really developing a shared ownership in the objectives of the work uh, to ensure that there is um, kind of the uh, the buy-in, but also that it leads back to trust, that there's a trust, that there's uh, a mandate uh, in which we're both embarking on uh, that lead to that collective goal. Uh, partnering um, with, um, with government also means that that's two worlds being brought together um, that often work uh, in different timelines. Um, there's different priorities. And the timeline that's required for government decision-making is also a really important part of building that relationship with the government to ensure that um, the research is not only done well, but also the results will more likely be used um, by decision makers in the end. That is so fantastic. It would be very cool to see more of this um, collaboration across disciplines and governments. And I think, you know, there have been so many examples that have come out of your collaborations with government and pre-primary is obviously the one that immediately comes to mind. And an example of a, a shift in the early childhood education system and how it operates as a publicly funded program. So from your perspective, why was the introduction of pre-primary um, such an achievement? for you and your team? So a part of um, the success of this early introduction of, they, they were called the early year centers uh, and looking at using the, the school as the hub for, for families of young children um, was this uh, early learning program uh, that uh, was for four-year-olds the year before school entry uh, here in, in Nova Scotia. And the success of that was really, you know, it was a, it was a no fee program for schools. It was a universal program. Any family with a child with the age eligibility within the catchment could attend and you know, families really told us in our in our early work that um, that they really appreciated this program um, that provided a real support for them. 
It not only reduces challenges um, of access, like uh, like the costs of of childcare, which can be very difficult for families. Uh, it also uh, supported a transition uh, into the school environment, which was really important. So those you know early days of the first um, year of school can be really challenging, and uh, families told us that they felt that the program was really uh, ensuring that their child um, transitioned well into into grade primary, and uh, they were able to succeed uh, really well. They told us about the benefits to their social and emotional development, those types of things that were really essential to ensuring that they felt comfortable as well. Um, so not only supporting the child's uh, transition into school, uh, but also the family's um, relationship um, with the school. Uh, so the pre-primary program uh, operates using a play-based curriculum. So it, it, it really looks at the ways in which children can learn through play. And that's a really essential part of uh, the work that is that happens in early childhood is not thinking about that traditional kind of instruction that's sitting down and you know working on worksheets, but it's really building on children's uh, interests uh, and experiences. Um, and using the educators, early childhood educators that are so uh, critical in, in this program to guide their learning through, uh, again, the interests of children. Um, and it's a really beautiful thing to see um, the programs uh, that have been established. And, um, you know, we're, I think next year, next year should be the, the last year of its full implementation across the province. And the, the amount of, of families that have had access to this program that didn't already attend um, a, a formal childcare uh, is evident that this is filling a gap um, in services for for families and for young children in the province. That's that's great. You know, I've heard you talk about some of the unique challenges facing uh, Nova Scotian families. You know, those in marginalized communities. You speak a lot about the vulnerabilities and the staggering number of children who are entering the school system uh, with vulnerabilities. Obviously, pre-primary is, I, I expect that to have some sort of um, an impact on how many children are entering primary um, with those vulnerabilities. What are some of the ways that we can invest in our children earlier so fewer children are starting school with vulnerabilities. And I know pre-primary probably plays a role in that, but would love to hear your thoughts. For sure. So we know in Nova Scotia, we use a tool called the Early Development Instrument, which uh, was developed by the Offord Centre for Child Studies at McMaster University. And this tool is a, is a renowned uh, international population level tool that looks at children's developmental progress at school entry. So it's a tool that great primary teachers uh, complete on their class, and it's been done on several rounds here in Nova Scotia. So it really gives us a good understanding of uh children's uh, development at school entry um, over time. So we are actually quite lucky here in Nova Scotia to have these data to help us better understand um, ha the changes in, in children's development over time. So these data tell us that more than one in four children are starting school with a developmental vulnerability. And the trends have shown that there is there has actually been an increase in vulnerability over time. And so this, to me, uh, as a researcher, signals first the importance of uh, understanding why. Uh, why are we seeing an increase in vulnerability over time? And it also, uh, as a researcher who likes to understand environments and, and the um, not only just kind of um, the quantitative reasons behind the why, but the qualitative reasons of, of, of the experiences of, of families and, and what's happening in communities. It, it kind of, it, it signals to me the importance of, of studying that and really understanding 
why environments um, are not always um, setting children up to develop at the expected um, kind of milestones that we expect to see at school entry. And how can we better optimize these environments to support children's development so that more children are coming to school with the developmental health at the expected uh, level to be uh, successful uh, later on uh, in life? Um, so some ways that we're studying that one are things like looking at the impact of something like a universal uh, early childhood education program, like the pre-primary program. Uh, another project that I'm involved with that's looking at the social uh, and emotional health uh, of children and uh, supporting educators in uh, both regulated childcare and in pre-primary programs uh, to ensure that the practices that are being implemented are supportive of um, the development of these really important social and emotional skills. Um, we know that these, uh, that these skills are really important um, in helping a child succeed uh, in many aspects uh, of life. Um, things like self-regulation, uh, really being able to understand how to uh, interact social relationships um, with peers. Uh, those early social and emotional skills are, are so critical. So another way that we're, um, that we will be trying to understand um, how these um, skills are developed over time is looking at what's actually being done uh, with respect to practices. Um, so how are the educators supporting this and how can we support the educators as to have the resources, the skills, the tools that they need to be able to create these environments in which children were, will develop these skills. Um, so we'll be able to look at uh, the programs that are implementing this, uh, this program called the pyramid model uh, that's looking at uh, best practices in social and emotional learning um, to address challenging behaviors that, um, that are sometimes uh, coming up and, and trying to understand whether or not that's having an impact um, on children's developmental health at school, school entry, for example, through uh, the early development instrument. So, so interesting and um, incredible work. And something I found incredibly interesting was the focus on research related to nutrition in early childhood development and education. Can you speak to nutrition a little bit and how that plays into that overall picture? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a passion of mine and one that I had the opportunity to really dive deep uh, during my my PhD and, and postdoc um, looking at uh, nutrition in schools. Um, but the work in early childhood has, has transitioned a bit more to look at um, responsive feeding. So responsive feeding is not just about what we eat. So it's not just about the quality of food, but it's about how we provide environments to children in which we're responsive uh, to their cues. So young kids are really quite good at regulating their own uh, food intake. And I think sometimes we as adults um, like to uh, control that a little bit. Sometimes we as adults need to uh, need to check ourselves sometimes um, to uh, to really listen to the cues that children are, um, are giving to us. Us, especially young children again. Um, and, you know, their bodies um, are growing in different ways than, than our needs are as adults. And uh, really being able to, to sort of provide those environments in which they're able to enjoy a variety of, variety of foods. So certainly uh, the types of foods that we provide are important, but also things like just sitting down with them, uh, having the same kinds of food um, that our children are having um, and encouraging um 
you know, them to follow their own hunger uh, and fullness cues. Because I think, again, uh, as adults, you know, we eat for different reasons. Uh, and um, and I think encouraging children to just enjoy their food uh, and take the time to do so is is so important. So uh, some of the research that, that we've done, which was funded by Research Nova Scotia, was looking to better understand um, what some of the challenges were that... Um, that adults and caregivers uh, were, were facing with their with young children. So it's food is a really tough thing. Um, it's tough for parents, you know, in a very busy life to be able to, um, you know, it's all sit down together for supper and all eat the same thing um, at the at the end of a long day. It, it can be tough. So we're trying to think about the ways in which we can um, support caregivers to to create these environments for their for their children. If you could help me figure out how to get all my children to eat the same meal every night, I, I'd be very happy. Um, and, and jokes aside, I do think being educated on uh, children's nutrition and and just having, you know, that, that peace of mind that you're doing the right thing and and knowing that children are going to eat a little bit differently and may not be the emotional eaters that we've all become in our old age um, would be really useful. And, and I'm wondering, does your center provide resources for parents for, for nutrition in those early years? Yeah. So while we haven't developed resources ourselves, that will certainly be something to come. What we do do is share a lot. Um, so we are fairly active on social media, both on Facebook and Twitter, and, uh, we do a weekly, you know, effort. Um, so it really is a joint effort by my team to put out evidence-based resources that we find, um, for families. There's a lot out there that does exist. Um, we have also, um, hosted, um, uh, webinars and set and workshops, uh, both on uh, Mount St. Vincent University campus. And we've also just received some funding to do uh, some webinars. So some online sessions. And one area that um, that we received a lot of interest was around responsive feeding. And this was looking at um, mostly uh, supporting early childhood educators and, and practices related to that. And it is a bit different from uh, the home environment, uh, because usually in, in childcare settings, food is provided through a family style, uh, approach. Um, so all children are eating the same thing. There is no other option, um, for children, unless there's a dietary, um, restriction. Um, so, you know, childcare's, you know, do have that aspect figured out in that, um, that, you know, ensuring that kind of family style sitting together around uh, a table, all eating the same thing, uh, and having, you know, good conversation with the kids around uh, the food, but also just, you know, having conversation generally um, as um, as the children are eating, you know, and I think that's certainly something in the most recent uh, food guide, uh, Canada's food guide recommendations that uh, was out was around enjoying food with others. And, um, you know, as much as I think there's been a lot of discussion about the kinds of food we should and shouldn't eat, there hasn't been as much discussion about how we should be eating food, regardless of what it is. And that enjoyment uh, with each other, I think, are part of um, who we are uh, as people. You know, food is really it's it's how we how we interact with one another is, you know, when you bring food into the picture, it changes the dynamic. Um, so how can we really, you know, think about, of course, um, the quality of that food that we are eating, but also those interactions that we're having with one another. 
And also with young children, there's so many developmental, um, there's so many opportunities for learning. Uh, so things like even just, you know, encouraging children to serve themselves, you know, you not only are they, you know, learning a bit of independence, they're also, um, there's some physical skills in just kind of using different utensils to kind of work with that. So not only are there, are there all the health benefits with, um, with the food aspect, there's also a lot of other um, social and, and physical benefits in, in focusing on um, on meals together. No, I, I noticed that recently with my daughter and pouring the Brita and two of them have been able to uh, pour their own water for quite some time. And for the last year, you know, I've been really encouraging uh, my youngest pouring her own glass of water. And, you know, there's been some spills along the way, but recently it's been perfected. And I think so often as parents, especially nowadays, you just your immediate instinct is to do it for them. Um, and I think it was really, really interesting that you said that because I, I was thinking the same thing. Eventually, they're going to have to learn to pour their own water. So a little spilled water isn't going to hurt anyone along the way. So um, that was a triumph recently in my house. And just picking back up on eating and emotional eating, I'd, I'd be remiss to not um, comment on the last couple months and the crazy times that we currently find ourselves in with the pandemic. And I know that um, you and your team have also reacted and shifted focus to COVID-19 related research. I saw recently that you received over 2000 responses to your online survey. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about that, that work and what you attend, intend to accomplish? Absolutely. So, I mean, um, following, I think I still remember that weekend where things just really start to shift really rapidly. Um, I think our immediate reaction was, was in our research team was thinking about, you know, the short-term implications on, on research, but as we all settled into what was, um, then our, uh, or, and continues to be now our, our new normal, um, we started to think about the impacts on, on families with young children. And a lot of us, uh, my, myself included, uh, having young children at the home and thinking about, uh, the challenges that it, that it really, uh, has, has made for us, but also, um, the different opportunities that it's provided for families, um, to, to be more connected, to not be as busy, uh, running off to all the different activities. Um, it, it started, uh, to, to, uh, get us to think about what, what we might be able to learn from this experience and also what, um, not only learn for the sake of learning, but also, uh, learn to, in, to inform the supports that are necessary. So there's a lot of conversation now about, you know, a second wave potentially coming now that this, um, this wave has, has sort of started to diminish. And, um, you know, that, that just signals even more so the importance of, of better understanding what families need. Um, so we uh, decided to launch a survey for families uh, with young children uh, in the Maritimes. So it was across the Maritimes. And as uh, you mentioned, we had great response. Uh, we were um, so impressed by um, the response from, from parents. And honestly, um, you know, I was really moved by uh, and, and really uh, inspired by the amount of, um, of heart that people poured into their responses. So not only did families tell us about, you know, changes to routines, the loss of services, those kinds of things, and, and sort of the traditional survey format, but they also shared um, through some of our open-ended questions, just their their um, their day to day experiences and what this has meant for them and their family life, um, and we're right now kind of going through um, those data to better understand. Um, you know what some of the common experiences have been, uh, what some of the um, 
what some of the different uh, predictors of changes have been as well. So better understanding um, how things like working from home. So if that is something that you're experiencing and you're also balancing parenting, how does that influence some of the um, some of the things that you're seeing in your children or some of the things that you're able to do as a family uh, during this time? So we're really kind of at the point now where we're uh, analyzing data um, and a subsequent phase that we've just received some internal funding for at Mount St. Vincent University we'll be following up with um, uh, doing some individual interviews with families. So we're looking forward to speaking more to to better understand those kind of unique experiences, but also um, to understand how um, there are some commonalities across the experiences that can inform uh, supports uh, that need to be developed um, to ensure that families um, aren't struggling. Uh, Because that's certainly one of the things we're hearing is that this is tough. It's tough for families with kids um, and particularly with young kids it seems like there there does seem to be some differences uh, in their experiences. For sure. And, uh, you know, I have three kids at home and um, I'm working from home as we speak right now. And I think when I took your survey, I think as parents, we really take for granted how much we are juggling right now. I think obviously we we knew we were under a great deal of pressure and stress, but until I actually sat down and answered your questions and was really thinking about what those days look like and and all the different components within, as I realized how many hats I was putting on in the run of the day, be it you know gymnastics coach or dance instructor or school teacher, <laughs> full time uh, employee, and it was really interesting. So I'm I'm really interested to see the results. Thanks for looking forward to sharing it. I mean, it, it really has been uh, a really meaningful project for me. I think as I'm also balancing some of those uh, realities, uh, you know, and just trying to do my best um, as a parent yeah. and also as a as a full time employee, I, I think it's um, it's been a really um, yeah important project, and we're looking forward to getting those out, results out there quite fast. You know, I, I think just in general, your research, the center, your the team, um, it's it's also important because I think everyone can relate to early childhood education, early childhood development, and it's especially those with children or young children in the home. And I just wanted to get aspirational for a moment here and just ask you what you think you've been able to achieve in the past, but where you see the future and the potential impact uh, you and your team at the center as a whole could have on Nova Scotians. That's a big question. Um, <laughs> Huge question. <laughs> it all. I barely got it out. It was so big. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in the early days of establishing the research center, it really is about kind of building the foundation of of, um, of the work that we do. So I think taking the time to develop relationship with, um, with government, um, and I was fortunate to come in with some of those relationships already. Uh, also community. Um, so one partner that we've been developing relationships with, and we have a project ongoing, um, is ISANS, the Immigrant Services Association of Nova Scotia, in which we're better, we're, we're trying to better understand the experiences of newcomers with, with young children um, as well. Um, so really trying to build relationship with different communities um, to better understand um, overall um, the supports uh, that might be needed for families and to take the time um, to build those relationships has been really critical to the foundation of the work. So um, a a lot of those kind of planting seeds as an early career researcher, um, I think in, especially in the work that I do, it's really hard to just jump into kind of those, um, you know, those five-year projects um, without kind of setting the stage and, and building that 
that foundation. Um, so over the next um, eight years, I suppose, uh, of our, the research chair, or seven years now, um, I'm hoping that, that that will just continue and that our research will be continue to be informed by the needs of government, by the needs of community, um, so that it really is kind of that authentic partnership um, that I spoke to uh, that I've that I've learned about. Uh, and that I'm trying to build um, so that it's not only um, kind of research informing change or practice change or policy change, but it's also um, what's happening in community that's informing our research goals and our research objectives. The more that I see that um, that people are seeing research as something that can support um, their work, not something that, um, you know, they have to participate in and, and it's kind of published in an academic sphere, but the more that it has real world um, impact. Um, that's really where I'll, I'll, I'll feel like our, our research center has been successful. That's, that's fantastic. I think that was an, an excellent way to sum it up. And I can um, say on behalf of Research Nova Scotia that we are very proud to have been able to support the center and the work that you do each and every day. And uh, once again, I would like to thank you for joining us today to share a little bit more about the work that you do at the Early Childhood Collaborative Research Center at the Mount. Uh, so thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. To find out more about this podcast and the research featured in this episode, visit researchns.ca. I'm Reese Waters, and we will see you next time.